before the human race harnessed the power of fire, there was only darkness. An inky black foreboding abyss that concealed danger, mystery, and fear. Into that darkness brave men would not venture. For as the map says, here, there be monsters. Good evening and welcome to the season finale of Here There Be Monsters podcast. I am your captain, Derek Hayes. I want to start off this evening by thanking each and every one of you. 20 episodes ago, I fired up a tin can microphone for the first ever episode. I knew how I wanted to show to sound, but I had no idea how to get there. Through tons of perseverance and lots of patience, I finally chiseled out a 30-minute block that resembles the dream I had a mere five months ago. No matter how much time, effort, and hard work I spilled into the project, I could not have done any of it without you. Your calls and submissions are the heart and soul of this show, and without them, there is no Hear the Bee Monsters podcast. In addition, without each and every one of my listeners, there'd be no show either. So I want to say thank you to each and every one of you listening out there tonight. I cannot begin to describe how excited and anxious I am for season two. The show is constantly improving, and the sky's the limit for us going forward. But before I get ahead of myself, let's send season one out with a bang. I have a great show lined up for you guys tonight. This episode will be similar to all the others this season, but this one might be on steroids. I have a number of great calls I've been saving just for tonight. So, let's stop wasting time and get right into them. The first call of the evening comes to us from Texas, and involves a brush with half of an unidentified creature. How's it going here, there be monsters podcast? Um not gonna tell you my name. Pretty much um my life has been a hotbed of activity. Um I um pretty much as a kid grew up in the middle of nowhere in this small town, Texas. Um we had five acres. Behind us was a 50,000-acre-plus uh, ranch called Skull Ranch. There was nothing but woods behind us. Nobody lived there. Deer blinds, all kinds of stuff. Anyways, my encounter is one night I was outside, and uh, to put it in perspective, we pretty much um, didn't have many neighbors. And across the way, our nearest neighbor was less than uh, one-third of a mile away. And after that, the nearest next nearest neighbor is a half a mile away. So one night, um, I was out barefoot, mind you, and I was walking down our driveway, and I got this overwhelming feeling to uh, go for a walk. Uh, Something was just pulling me. And uh, the street that we had um, had one street lamp. That's all it was. And uh, other than that, there was no no other light source except for the moon. And um, the street lamp was to the right of my driveway, and we had a long, just dirt and sand driveway. So I started walking, and uh, the street itself um, went down into a dip to where you couldn't see it anymore. There was no light. And then went up all the way to the top of the hill where another neighbor was. Now, this is like 
over a half a mile long, so it's pretty dark. Um, it's nighttime, the stars are out, and I just kept walking past the light, and all of a sudden it was dark, the moon hit me, and I just kept walking um, on the street, no shoes. Then I looked down in front of me, and in the dip, I could see a silhouette of a figure. Um, it wasn't quite a person, and it wasn't quite a full figure, it was just kind of there. And I immediately <laughs> reacted and freaked out because I, I, you know, kept thinking maybe it was a person, someone walking to, I don't know. Then all of a sudden, all the hairs on the back of my neck stuck up. I uh, started getting goose pimples and freaking out. So, anyways, I booked it. <laughs> now, I was a ways away from my house. I was down that street pretty much almost in the, in the dip. And then all of a sudden, I felt someone right behind me, and I was oh crap, you know, thinking someone's going to kill me. So then all of a sudden I kept running, kept running, kept running, and all of a sudden a figure appears right next to me, and all I can see are its legs. It's a humanoid figure. Um, it's got pretty much padded uh, padded calves, um, reminding me of a praying mantis, and kind of like that kid who turned into an alien, that one movie where he bent his knees backwards, and that was it, and he took off. But this was more of his body wasn't really there but the legs were and i say he don't know why but i kept running and uh kept running as i got closer to the light the figure the being whatever it was ended up backing off so i raced an alien and uh as i got to my house i booked it up the driveway and when i was in the light um i looked back i could see the figure standing back there but it like i said it, it might have been cloaked from the top up i don't know but that was the freakiest encounter I've ever had in my life. And I I believe I raced an alien. So there you go. Thanks for what you do. I miss our bell. So this is my fix. Thank you, sir, for calling in your story. The caller said something very interesting there toward the end. His perception that half of the creature he saw was cloaked. If you think back to the Predator films, the antagonist in those films used a camouflage technique that sounds very similar to what the caller described. It's a strange detail that only the legs were visible. It's quite possible that there's a simple explanation for this sighting, but honestly I cannot come up with one. Thank you again for submitting your story. Our next call has more layers than an onion. So hold on for this one. My name is Sandy, and I've been a big fan of the podcast, so I thought I'd call in. First thing that I wanted to share is that since I have been very young, um, I've always had sort of a sixth sense. And even getting older in my teenage years, um, I had engulfed myself in church because I was so afraid of the things that I had experienced as a child that I felt like I needed protection and even, you know, being part of a, a church, I was told that I had a, a gift of discernment. Now, this doesn't mean that I can walk into a house and immediately share a narrative of, you know, some ghostly figure like in TV shows nowadays, um, but I can certainly pick up on uh, different things. I can tell what sex, what gender, um, and maybe approximate age of a type of entity that might be somewhere. I can also sense a lot of other emotions and things like that that I might pick up on. And so not a lot of people know this personally about me except for a very, very close family. Um, I don't share this with a lot of people. I honestly feel like a freak 
for being able to feel and pick up on these types of things, but pretty much this has followed me my entire life, even to today. So um, the first story I'm going to share is one that happened to me when I was in my teenage years. I remember sleeping in my bedroom one night and, of course, the infamous, um, you know, chest pressing, although this time I was laying on my side and I suddenly could not move, I could not open my eyes, and um, everything just fell silent. I remember suddenly feeling something like a large man crawl into bed with me and hold me and I could feel him breathing on the back of my neck. I literally could feel the breath on the back of my neck. I was deathly afraid, but I couldn't move. I couldn't say anything. I couldn't open my eyes, but I suddenly had a sense that this man or entity of a man thought I was his daughter and was hugging me because he thought I was his daughter. And I began to say the Lord's Prayer, and it suddenly, I suddenly was able to break free. Um, and I hopped out of bed and ran out into my living room at the time, and uh, hysterically. And my dad, I remember, was like, "What's wrong with you?" And I just, I didn't even know what to say to him because I was just so scared of what had happened. So the following week. I was laying in bed again, and this time I was on my back, and again I had another experience of not being able to move, not being able to open my eyes, and death, you know, dead silence. And this time I felt a, a little person, a little girl, I sensed um, climbing onto my bed, and I knew she was little because I sensed that she was standing on top of my bed but she wasn't very tall and, you know, it's probably, I would say I sensed her to be like eight or nine years old and she was just standing on my bed and I couldn't move and again screamed out for, tried to scream out for help, started screaming Jesus' name to be honest and started praying um, and then I suddenly broke free from that and again ran out of my room just, you know, afraid of what had just happened. And after this incident, I actually ended up sleeping in the living room for the next few nights because I was just too afraid to sleep in my bed. Um, I forgot to mention earlier that I grew up in Maui, Hawaii, so uh, that fact is definitely important to this story. Um, so anyway, uh, a few days later, I was coming home from school and my father was outside talking with a neighbor and uh, I just kind of said hello and, you know, walked into the house. And after a few minutes or so, my dad came in and, you know, he looked pretty disturbed. Um, and I asked him, you know, what was wrong and, you know, what did the neighbor want? And so he begins to tell me that the neighbor had asked him if we had experienced any supernatural events in our home because they had had some things happen that couldn't be explained and uh, they kind of, I don't know, out of nowhere, I don't know, maybe they saw my dad or something, but somehow they had gotten to talk, talking to my dad about it. And so uh, my dad told me that this particular neighbor who lives three houses above from us um, or up the street from us had told him that she had recently had a priest and specifically a Hawaiian priest because we were living in Hawaii, come and bless the house, and this Hawaiian priest had told her that the area that we had been living had been a battleground for previous wars that happened in on the island of Maui in, in previous years, and uh, had told her that there was a lot of bones and things that were not excavated when they built our home. So they essentially built our home on top of bones of these, you know, old Hawaiian warriors and people that had died during previous wars on the island. And so um, one of the things that she had mentioned to him was that he sensed that there was a man looking for his little girl 
his daughter, whom he got separated with, and that he was going up and down the street looking for her. And at that point, uh, when my dad had said that to me, I probably was in shock because immediately I thought about the experience I had with the men coming into bed with me and hugging me and sensing that I was his daughter or he was looking for his daughter. And then also the experience of the little girl standing on my bed. And um, after that, I slept in the living room and I made my dad sleep in the living room with me. Like literally he slept on the couch and I slept on the ground for the next month because I could not be alone in that house. More to come, I guess, on the stories of the house that I grew up in in Maui. We had a few more experiences that happened even after that to all of us. Um, but I'll leave you with that story for now. Thank you. That is the first submission from Hawaii, so thank you, Sandy, for taking the time to call it in. When I listened to this call for the first time, I was taken back at the evolution of the series of events. What I thought was going to be a psychic ability story ended up being a great ghost story with indigenous roots and validation. Sandy, I encourage you, like all the submitters, to do some research. See what you can find about this battle that took place. As with most things, there are less scary when you pull back the curtain. I also add that you should not be ashamed of any extrasensory abilities you may have. Some people have great vision, or precise hearing. You just happen to have souped up intuition. Use it to your benefit and don't worry about being different. The world would be a boring place if we were all the same. Thank you again for sharing your story with us. From the tropical islands of Hawaii to the rolling hills of my home state, our next call comes from my neck of the woods and describes an encounter with what could be the most infamous cryptid east of the Mississippi. My name is Justin, and my story has to do with my brush with the Mothman. And I've only told a handful of close friends about this since I don't really know what to make of it, but I enjoy the podcast, and you always encourage us to share our stories, so here's mine. I uh, grew up in a pretty small southern Ohio town. There wasn't really much to do there, and I had always been fascinated by stories of Bigfoot and things like that. So. When the movie Mothman Prophecies came out in, I think it was 2002, I was really intrigued by that, and I started to research the true story, and I became even more interested when I found out that it took place in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, which was just over a half hour from where I lived. And after the movie, uh, this small town of Point Pleasant started to get more publicity because of the Mothman. I recall at one point they had these like crudely, uh, these lights crudely formed in the shape of Mothman as you crossed this bridge into the town. And I think the uh, Mothman Festival started that same year when the movie came out. And then I think sometime in 2003, they, a local artist made this statue of Mothman. They even placed it in the middle of the town. Uh, this local pizza place had the Mothman pizza. I think they actually still have it. But uh, needless to say, you know, this, this town moved out of obscurity fast. And so I think it was around February 2006, 
a few years later when uh, a buddy of mine and I decided we would go out and you know, try to find the Mothman. So we drove into town uh, into Point Pleasant after dark. We visited this statue, took some pictures of it, drove around. You know, most everything was closed except like that pizza place with the Mothman pizza. So of course we got one of those. And afterwards we left town uh, towards this area where Mothman was supposedly seen. And this was an area called, by the locals, TNT, uh, just because they're all like these igloo-shaped bunkers where they made and stored TNT during World War II. And it's a really creepy place, especially at night. So we turned into that area and just kind of drove around a bit, just, you know, anticipating Mothman to fly over a car at any time. But, of course, nothing like that happened. The area was completely deserted. We didn't see any people, any cars, anywhere around. So we decided to go check out one of those bunkers. I remember we pulled up by this dirt road that led to one of them, but it had one of these metal bars that kind of goes across the entrance. So we had to park by the entrance of that road and, and walk to the bunker. And it was really dark by that time. Like I said, there wasn't really anything around, so it, was, it, it got pretty dark and we just had one flashlight and so you know we walked kind of close to each other and I remember going to the bunker as you're walking to the left there was like this marsh-like area with kind of a little pond and then to the right it was just woods you know it was winter time February so it was like thick with these bare trees and you know you could see for a while because there wasn't much brush to cover no leaves or anything so we walked maybe 50 to 75 yards to reach the bunker. Um, it was open, so we poked around inside, and it, it was pretty cool, pretty creepy, but there really wasn't much there. So after maybe 10 minutes, we decided to walk back towards the car. We got about halfway there, and you know, we both oh, had to take a leak, so we decided we would just like stop there and, and go on opposite ends of the road. You know, my buddy would go towards the marsh, and I would go towards the forest, and we turned off our flashlight just because, you know, we're guys and it's uncomfortable to pee near your buddy. So um, I finished up and then all of a sudden I hear what sounds like someone running, maybe like 10 yards in front of me, through the forest, like right at me at full speed. And I, I didn't know what to do, but it stopped like right in front of me. And with the brush, it sounded really loud and the footsteps sounded heavy. And we just kind of froze, and I didn't know whether to run or just, or stay there. I just know like the adrenaline started rushing through my body, like the hair stood up on my neck. And after a few seconds of, of nothing, like silence, we heard something like a heavy rock being chucked into the marsh on the other side of the road. Um, so we just stood there, and finally, I kind of reluctantly turned on the flashlight, and I didn't, I didn't you know, know what to expect, whether it was like a deer or, or something else. But there was nothing. I mean, we looked around the trees and the brush, nothing, no animals. We checked the marsh, nothing there. So, you know, we were really freaked out. We, he, he heard it uh, just like I did. So we just, you know, agreed, let's just book it to the car. So as we were running, I was half tempted to look over my shoulder and, you know, half afraid of what I might see if I did. But we got in the car, locked the doors, turned on the headlights, the brights, just to see if we could see anything. Of course, you know, we did. So we slammed on the gas, got out of there as fast as we could, and you know, on the way home, we we spoke about it, kind of briefly and quietly. Uh, like I said, he experienced the same thing I did. He was freaked out, just like me. And to this day, it kind of gives me chills thinking about it because we don't know what it was. And I went back a couple more times to the TNT area with a buddy of mine. Never experienced anything like that. I moved away now. Uh, but when I remember back visiting family, I always try to swing by Point Pleasant. I even took my wife there to see the statue a couple years back. Got some Mothman pizza. Told her about my Mothman experience. But do I think what happened to me was actually Mothman? No, not really, I don't. But I do know that the Point Pleasant area, despite its name, uh, has been hosted pretty sinister and strange things over the years. I mean, starting back even centuries ago. If you just Google the Cornstalk Curse, you'll see what I mean. But um, thanks for keeping us entertained with the spooky stories. Keep it up.
thank you, Justin, for sharing your encounter. The ironic part is that the film he's referring to, The Mothman Prophecies, is a film that was produced by the company I currently work for. Now, I unfortunately did not work for this company when the film was shot, so I asked some of my co-workers that did if they had any eerie stories about the filming of the movie. Now, many people do not realize, but the film was actually filmed in the town of Catanning, Pennsylvania, which is a few hours from Point Pleasant. So there weren't many Mothman-related stories that took place during production. However, one producer did tell me that the building where they set up the production office was an abandoned metalworking factory, and at night, when there were only a few people left in the office, disembodied voices and footsteps could be heard throughout the building. The activity was so frequent that many would not work alone in the building after hours, and it prompted a mass exodus at the end of each shooting day. I did some research and it turned out the building was the Pittsburgh Gauge and Supply Company building. I will link a picture to the creepy looking building in the show notes. As for Justin's story, it's hard to say what he actually encountered. The dark can play mysterious tricks with your psyche, but I'm certainly not going to rule out Mothman. After all, he was right there in his birthplace. Thank you again, Justin, for taking the time to share your story. Next up is a ghostly tale from the state of Michigan. This one from a familiar voice. Lisa called in a UFO story way back in episode 10. Here is her second frightening encounter. Hi, uh, this is Lisa Larson. I am from um, Detroit, Michigan area. And I was about 11 years old. Uh, My brother and my father and myself moved into a guest house and it was right on the lake. It was a nice little house for rent. It was perfect for us um, in moving to this new area. And um, as soon as we moved in, it was about a week in, I had this, there was a little cupboard under the stairs Um, There was no way in but the one door, and it had a chain pull light. And in the first week, I'd be sitting on the couch um, next to this door, and that door was, in front of that door was a lineup of different guitars that were set up, and then it was like a little table and then the couch. And I would hear um, the chain pull, and it would make that clicking noise. And I would see under the door the light come on, and I'd look at it and go, okay, and then it would go off. And I would open, I'd move the guitars, I'd open the door, and there'd be nothing in there except for the chain swinging. So, you know, I didn't know what to make of that. I told my dad and my brother, and they said, ah, you know, whatever, who knows what that is. So as time goes on, I am coming home from school. A lot of the times, um, you know, my family wouldn't be home. I'd be coming straight home. My dad was gone. My brother usually came home from school later and I would think that my brother was home because I'd see a silhouette in his window um, like behind the blinds I'd see a silhouette of a person and I'd go in and I'd say hey Jay I'm home you know like I'm here and I'd I'd go run upstairs and um, there'd be nobody home nobody was in the house and there was no way for somebody to get out of the house before I got in it it was a small little guest home um it was like two, two and a half bedroom guest home, I guess. It was just like a little bedroom and two bedrooms. And, I mean, there's just no way. So I tell my brother, you know, and it would really freak me out. And I would, I'd then leave and go to my friend's house until my dad and brother would get home. Then they'd go home. And so I'm sitting there. It's about a year we've lived there now. And I feel this fear inside of me. Like, I've never felt like I needed to just get out of the house. I was home alone one night, and I go to look out my front door blinds, and I see this 
figure of a man in our driveway. We had a, our house was set back, so we had a really long driveway to get to the road. And um, I see him standing there, and I immediately closed the blinds and was starting to freak out, like, I don't know who this is. They're just standing there staring at my house. Oh, my God. I look again because I'm getting ready, like, okay, I'm going to run out of here, or I'm going to go out the back and run and see where he's at. And I, I look, and he's even closer. And now I'm panicking, and I grab a bat, my brother's baseball bat, um, from the back room, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm just panicking. And I go back to the door to see where he's at, and I move the blinds, and he's gone. So I book it. I book it out. I run down the street, and as I'm going down the street, my brother and his girlfriend are pulling onto our street. I'm about halfway down the block and they're coming down the block and he stops and he sees me I'm in a panic and I tell him I said this strange man was in our driveway and I explained to him exactly what he looked like he had long hair he had a beard he had a red um, flannel shirt I can still envision this gentleman this person um, he had blue jeans on he had you know these these um these boots and they look like a red leather boot you know almost and I'm explaining this to my brother and my brother stops he stopped we stopped he said that same exact description of a person was just chasing our car but five blocks away he said we pulled out of the driveway and we started driving and his girlfriend Donna looked in the mirror and she my, she said, Jason, someone's chasing our car. And my brother turned around and saw the same exact description of the same exact person running behind their vehicle, just full bore running at their vehicle. And it scared my brother so bad. He said, Donna, step on it. Step on it. What is this crazy doing? And they come flying to come to my house. And then he hears my story. So we went to the landlord and asked the landlord, about if any, you know about the history of the house he had my landlord had said that the last tenant had died of a heart attack in the house he neglected to tell us this information and then showed us a piece of sidewalk where the gentleman had wrote his name and his name was Lenny and he wrote the date um, 1984 that it was that he had wrote that he had died in that house and um, nobody had lived in the house um, besides us since that person had passed away. So, and I don't, I think actually we had ended up moving out of the house because uh, we had put it all together and knew that this ghost was trying to get us out of the house. They didn't, he didn't like us there. And it was by that time terrifying me because of what had happened. So we moved out shortly after. And I think it was a couple years later, I was older, um, maybe I was 16 by then. And I said, oh, let's drive back down that street and see if that house is still there. And he had ended up actually just tearing the house down because he couldn't rent it, I guess. We had stopped and talked to him and said, hey, you know what, you tore down the house, huh? And he said, yeah, I couldn't rent it to anybody. And, and now it's just all pavement and he's got, you know, two boats parked on it. But um, that was pretty terrifying. That was uh, a very close ghost encounter that I've ever had. So anyways, um, love your podcast. And take care. Those are my two stories. All right. Bye. Thank you, Lisa, for sharing your experience. Assuming the man you and your brother both experienced was a ghost, why was he so active outside the home? It's somewhat rare to hear of a ghost that haunts the outside of a building, so that fact really stuck out to me. I have to admit, the scariest detail from the entire story was the clicking of the light under the stairs. I wasn't there to hear it, but the sound is somewhat haunting. Click, click. Click, click. Click, click.
Next on our tour of the country, we head down to the Sunshine State for a mysterious encounter with strange creatures in the dark. My name's Andy. Um, I'm from Florida. I got a few crazy, crazy stories. Um, the one, one that really put some fear in my heart was back in 2010 when I was a sophomore in high school. And um, basically, it was me and a lot of my friends. We we we, we got around, play manhunt around the neighborhood. It was a little tradition we did. We just go around, but basically like a stream tag. Anyways, um, one night we were playing. And in the back of the neighborhood, it's like it's a little wooded area. I mean, you know, Pensacola is full of little woods and stuff like that. And um, I don't know if you know about stuff about Pensacola, but you know, it's it, 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 it's known for having like UFO sightings and stuff like that, and ghost stories and the the, the, the military base and all that. But anyway, this is a little suburban area, and basically we're playing this manhunt and. It was me and a couple guys. We used to play in teams. And when we were playing in teams, you know, we were all spread out. Sometimes we'll double up, triple up. This, you know, some, this time we decided to triple up and go around and, you know, basically check the other people. So, we're in the, so anyways, we're in the woods. And when we were in the woods, we saw something crazy. It was like, we call them white monkey men. But in reality... We don't know what it is. And we're in there inside the woods, and, like, we're all walking. And, and it's like a big pond in the middle. So we're walking around the pond. Sometimes they hide in the bush, you know, in, in, in the pond. And me and my friends look up. You know, we just heard something, and we looked up. And all we seen was, like, white faces. Like, but they didn't really look like human faces. They, like, they resemble more, like, apes. And they weren't like Bigfoot, like seven foot tall or anything like that. I mean, even if they were, we were going to judge. They were really far away. And they were like in, like, basically the tree line. And so we were staring and we're like, holy like what, like, what is that? And, you know, I thought I was the one who saw it, but my, when I looked over, my friend was staring at the same thing I was staring at. And he had, like, no kind of recollection of what was going on. Like, he was like, oh, like, what, like, what is that? Like, he, he was baffled as much as I was. And so I was like, dude, just keep walking, keep walking. And we kept walking. And, you know, we looked back. This time we saw two. And we were like, okay, you know, this is a little weird. You know what I mean? And so we kept staring, and the faces were just there. And then we kept walking some more. And we turned back. This time it was four. And after that, we saw four faces. We both saw them. We just took off. We just all ran. It was, we just... It was the scariest thing in the world. But we ran and we told our friends and our friends like didn't want to believe us and stuff like that. But we were like, dude, we know what we saw. We saw, you know, faces and we call them white monkey men. So every time we play Manhunt, we used to call the area the white monkey man territory and we would never ever ever try to play there ever again. And if we did, we you know, we never went by ourselves if we did. And um yeah, I thought it would be a crazy story. I don't know if you heard anything like that. But, yeah, I love the podcast, man. Keep it up. You know, I'm at work right now, and that's, you know, this is what I do. I listen to this podcast while I work. I work overnight. Keep it up, man. Thanks. Thank you, Andy. I used to play a similar game on a nearby farm when I was growing up. Our game was called Night Tag and basically consisted of five or six of us running around in the dark, scaring the crap out of each other. 
Unfortunately, we did not come across a single monkey man during our many rounds of the game. Another thing your story made me think of was my first visit to the state of Florida way back in the early 1980s. I remember visiting a park called Silver Springs, which I believe was the filming location of The Creature from the Black Lagoon. At any rate, the place was infested with monkeys. Now the way I understood it, another film shot there. This film used monkeys in the production. When they rapped, they simply left the monkeys there to fend for themselves. To this day, I believe their descendants are still there. I said all that to say this. Perhaps what was seen were actual monkeys, a small group of escaped pets or circus animals. However, Florida is the heart of Skunk Ape territory, so perhaps you witnessed something more of that persuasion. Either way, I'm glad you did, and I'm equally as glad that you decided to share your sighting with us. Thank you again, Andy. Before we explore the final call of this evening, I wanted to take a quick moment to touch on an exciting new development with Here There Be Monsters podcast. At least, exciting for me. I've been thinking of ways to give back to those that take the time to share their encounters. Some way to show my appreciation for their contribution. So this is what I came up with. I will send a free Here There Be Monsters podcast t-shirt for every 13 calls submitted. So in other words, every 13th caller gets a free t-shirt simply for submitting their story. You don't have to sign up, you don't have to enter anything. Just call in your story, and we both know you've been thinking about doing that anyway. And if you are lucky number 13, I will contact you, and boom, a free t-shirt. Now I know what you're thinking. I don't have a story, but I still want a shirt. Well, you two are in luck. I'm putting the finishing touches on a t-shirt design of which you can get a sneak peek at either the show's Instagram account or on the Facebook page. Very soon I will be opening a small storefront on the page's website to purchase these shirts. I do not yet know the price, but I can assure you it won't break the bank. So please, look for that near the start of Season 2. Now, let's get back to the show in our final call. This story creeps me right on out. It comes to us from a man named Stephen in Illinois. Hi, my name is Steven. Um, I'm in my late 20s now, and this happened when I was about five or six, I'd say. Um, It took me a while to build up the courage to actually tell this story, because it's actually frightened me, and I forgot about it for a long time. And I ended up seeing, I happened to see a therapist, and uh, we were talking about my childhood, and the story ends up coming up. And I guess a lot of kids have imaginary friends, but... uh, I was about five or six. We had a pretty big house. Me, my three sisters, my mom, and my dad. And, um, well, I'd just be playing in my room, and I would hear this voice talk to me. At first, it was was really nice, you know. Wanted to play, wanted to, you know, make believe with me, play pretend, and we would do that. We would, you know, play with my stuffed animals, my G.I. Joes, you know, whatever. And... You know, I would tell my mom about it and my sisters, and they'd write it off as an imaginary friend, which was fine. Normal kid stuff. But after a while, he would, or I say he, it was, it, was a, it was a man's voice. He would tell me, you know, I live in your wall, and, uh, you know, I'm here to help you. And I would ask him his name, and he said, uh, you don't want to know my name if you ever found out my name we'd be in trouble. And so I never pressed the matter much. And um, one day we were playing, 
and uh, my mom called me out of my room and I came running to the kitchen and I had gotten in trouble for oh, I really don't remember what it was something along the lines of not picking up my toys and I, I was really upset you know I got in a lot of trouble came to my room crying he asked what was wrong and I said and my mom yelled at me and he goes uh, he says well she shouldn't yell at you like that you want me to do something about it and I asked him what do you mean and he said, well, if you don't want your mom around, I can take care of that. I can help you out with that. And I was five or six, you know. I said, what do you mean? He said, I'll bring your mom into the wall with me. And that frightened me a little bit. And I, so I run, run and crying to my mom back out into the kitchen to t tell my mom. And she thought I was just being overdramatic because I had gotten in trouble and I just wanted to not be in my room. Well, as, as time went on, he became less nice and he would you know he would say stranger and stranger things to me every day uh you know i would be playing and i he would say do you want me to play with you and i'd tell him to leave me alone and he said i can't leave you alone i'd ask him why he'd say if i left you alone bad things would happen that was always his his excuse for things if you don't do this, if you don't let me do this, if you don't tell me this, bad things will happen. So it started to be I wouldn't ever go in my room. Never go in my room, left it alone, wouldn't play in there, played in the living room, played outside, wouldn't even sleep in there. And I would frequent in my room less and less, and he kept getting more and more upset. He would start yelling things at me, asking me, why don't you want to play with me anymore? And it, it kept escalating and escalating. And finally, he started threatening my family. He'd tell me, if you don't play with me more, bad things are going to happen. I'll take your sisters. I'll take your mom. I'll take your dad. And so I felt compelled to stay in my room to help out my family. And I became secluded and reclusive and started acting out and not letting my family come into my room and throwing fits when they did because I was I was afraid. I was afraid for them because this man in my wall was threatening to get them. And I didn't want to tell him because I knew how strange it sounded. Even at the age of six, I didn't want to be considered a freak or have to go to a doctor or something. Until so finally one day, we were playing almost forcibly. And he said... Stephen, are you ready to come into the wall with me? And I said, no. And he said, I need you to come into the wall with me. It's time for you to come. I said, I don't want to come. I started screaming and crying. I don't want to play with you anymore. I don't want you in my house, in my wall. I don't want you anymore. And that was, God. after screaming like that, that's the last I had, I had ever heard from him. Yeah, it, it took a lot of courage for me to tell this story because even now, you know, retelling it, uh, it, it still seems crazy to me, you know, like a out of control imagination for a child. But uh, that story sticks with me, you know, it stuck with me all my life. But I thank you for the opportunity to tell it. Uh, love the show. Keep up the good work. I told you it was creepy. Thank you, Stephen, for sharing. I'm almost afraid to ask, but I wonder what would have happened if you went along with either of his plans. It's entirely possible that Stephen simply had an imaginary friend and a vivid imagination, but that doesn't make this call any less eerie. But let's assume for a minute that what he experienced was not a figment of his own subconscious. Who, or what, 
was communicating with him. Why was it so manipulative? And why did it want him inside that wall? That does it for this season of Here There Be Monsters podcast. I'll be taking a week off to prepare for season two, so check back on August 31st for the next new episode. But before I go, a little homework for all of you. Please follow the show on Instagram and Facebook. I'll be posting even during my little hiatus. If you're listening on iTunes, please rate and review the show. I noticed a few of you have done so in the past few weeks, and I truly appreciate the kind words and excellent feedback. Lastly, the hotline is always open, and I'm anxious to start stockpiling new calls. So give the hotline a call at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. You know the drill. Who knows? You might be lucky number 13. Alright folks, that does it for this evening. Thank you all so much for listening, and until next season, 